Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Oh, good morning. Uh, good morning. Yes, yeah, seriously, ha- happy first day of spring, I believe, right? Isn't today the first day of spring? It's great to be with you guys. Um, great to be with you this weekend. I'm continuing a series uh, that, we're call- that we've been calling I Am, Jesus in His Own Words, where as we are getting closer to Easter, we're approaching Easter here in the next few weeks, we simply wanted to take this, this season of, of Lent, this season of the kind of 40 days before Easter, to simply focus on Jesus. That might seem simple, but it's also really, really important. Uh, And so we wanted to focus on Jesus. And what better way to do that than by examining who Jesus really is? And how do we know who Jesus is better than asking, what is he, finding out what does he say about himself? Who does Jesus say that he is? And so by examining that, we're going to, we're jumping into this series called I Am. We're not jumping in, we've been in this series called I Am. And In the Gospels, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in the Gospel of John, John's different than the other three in a couple different ways. But one of the main ways that it's different is that it includes these different phrases, uh, these seven different statements where Jesus says, I am fill in the blank. And And he talks about to the people, to his disciples, to the crowd, trying to articulate who he is using these different images. And two weeks ago, Michael kicked it off and the very first I am statement or I am phrase, he talked about how Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Last weekend, Heather talked about um, Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. You know, both of these beautiful poetic statements, bread of life, light of the world. And today, this third I am statement, I get to talk about, I am the gate, not as quite as poetic, right? But, but equally as important in understanding who Jesus is. So let me pray uh, and we'll jump into it. So Jesus, thank you that you don't leave us to guess who you are, but instead you have told us. You've used these images of bread of, bread of life and light of the world and the gate to help us understand who you are. And in doing so, that helps us understand who we are and how you've made us and the purposes and plans that you have for us. So Lord, today, as we explore this this third I am statement, I am the gate, would you open our eyes to just see you a little bit more and and a little clearer. It's in your name, amen. Now, when Jesus makes this statement, I am the gate, other translations might say, I am the door. uh, It's gonna be kind of a part one of, of two because right after this, statement. He says the fourth I am statement, which Michael's going to talk about next weekend, uh, which is I am the good shepherd. And you might be a little more familiar with that one. Um, But these two statements go basically are in the context of the same story. And so I'm going to try as best as I can to really focus on the gate part and not try to steal Michael's thunder for next week. Um, But really this, this is found, this story is found in John chapter 10. But before we get into John chapter 10, we actually have to know what happened in John chapter nine because the context is super, super important. The context is this. In John chapter nine, Jesus and his disciples are walking along the road and they come upon a man who happens to be blind and he's been blind his entire life. He was born blind. And the disciples ask Jesus this kind of odd question. They ask him, hey, Jesus, was this, is this man blind because of his own sin? 
or because of his parents' sin? Well, just that, that question alone is kind of an odd thing to, to assume that a man's blindness is because of sin. Uh, but that was a common belief back in their day and age, that, that sins could lead to curses that would cause disabilities or sickness or things like that. But Jesus answers them and he says, neither, which is a good answer, neither, but this man was born this way so I could do this. And then he does the oddest thing. He spits in the dirt. He literally spits in the ground. We always yell at our kids, don't spit, don't spit. But Jesus says, it's okay, we can spit. Um, he spits in the ground and he stirs it up and he makes mud. He then takes the mud and he puts it on the man's eyes. And then he tells the man to go, go to this, the pool of Shalom, which is this famous pool. We're not gonna have time to get into the significance of that. But he tells me, he goes and he washes off his eyes and the man can see for the first time in his life. He's never seen before. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. And, and everybody is excited. There's all this great commotion and excitement in the town, except for one group of people, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They're not excited. They're actually pretty upset. They're pretty upset because it just so happens that Jesus did this miracle on the wrong day of the week, on the Sabbath. And according to their traditions and their rules, that was considered work. And so this, must, this was wrong. And so they're upset and they bring in the man who was formerly blind, who can now see, and they start interrogating him and asking him all these questions. And they aren't satisfied with his answers. So they bring in the man's parents and they start interrogating them. And they're not satisfied with that. And in the end, they, they kick him out. They say, they kick him out of the synagogue, which isn't just mean like, go home and we'll see you tomorrow. What it means is you're out like permanently. You are excommunicated from the faith, from the family of God, because you happen to be healed of all things on the wrong day of the week. Jesus hears about this and he goes and he finds the man that he had, that he had healed. And he says to him, look, no, that's not how this is gonna go down. That's not what's happening. You are not kicked out of the family of God. I am the son of man and I've come so that you can have life and, 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 and I speak for the father. And that's where chapter 10 starts off. Chapter 10 starts off where Jesus, this has all just happened. And Jesus is now turning to the Pharisees who have just excommunicated this man for being healed. And he turns to them and he basically preaches a little sermon at them in the form of a story about sheep of all things. John 10, one starts like this. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through, the, through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal 
and kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. We'll stop there and kind of unpack this a little bit. Now, the uh, shepherds, sheep, sheep pens are not something common for all of us to see and experience every day. Uh, in our culture, but it was something that everybody was familiar with back then. It would have been something they were used to seeing uh, and being a part of. And Jesus, again, remember, he's, he's talking specifically in this story, almost like a parable, to, uh, to the Pharisees. And he's trying to address this issue about them just kicking out this, this man out of the synagogue. And he starts off by talking about being a gate of all things. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep and by the gate, but climbs in some other way as a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep, and the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. There are two kinds of people that, get to, that, that can go into a sheep pen. There are the shepherds and the thieves. You know, The shepherd goes in through the gate, while the thief or the robber must go in by a different way, whether it's climbing over the wall or making a hole and crawling through. Right? Thieves could have been people trying to uh, steal sheep, but it also could have included predators like wolves. Either way, they were uninvited guests who were there to just do harm. Now, sheep are known as not always being the most intelligent of God's creations. They wander off easily. They can get themselves into tough situations where they can be hurt or in danger, and they don't always have the best way of defending or protecting themselves from predators. Um, shepherds have to stay with their flocks like all the time back then when they were out in the pasture. So sheep pens were really important at night. And, and if the shepherds ever needed to go you know, away from them and go into town, the sheep pen was really important. Now I find this interesting, but in the Middle East in the first century, there were two different kinds of sheep pens. There were two different kinds. The first kind was a larger communal sheep pen, a larger communal one that would have been found right outside of the town. And so, especially during the winter months, the shepherds didn't want to venture with their flocks too far away from town because it was cold at night. So they wanted to be able to come back into town. And so what they would do is they would, they would go on the outskirts, but every day they would come back to town and they would, they would come uh, and use these larger shared communal sheep pens with other shepherds. And they, when they would approach, they would, they would approach to a gate. There would be a wooden gate with a lock and a gatekeeper whose job was to unlock it when he saw the shepherds coming and let them lead their flocks in. And then he was also there to protect and keep strangers or potential thieves from coming in as well. And so that's what Jesus is kind of talking about here at the beginning. Um, but the Pharisees aren't tracking with Jesus. They're not getting his analogy. And so it says that Jesus continued to explain further. He says this again, verse seven. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture again. So twice here, Jesus has said our key statement for today, I am the gate. Or again, I am the door, depending on your translation. But whoever enters through me, he says, will be saved. All who have come before me are like thieves and robbers. He's talking to these Pharisees here. You are like thieves and robbers with all your rules and you know, trying to get people to have to climb over the wall. I am the gate, he says. 
I am the gate. And this isn't just some beautiful metaphor where he's, you know, he's saying, I'm like the gate and you know, I'm like the door, so come in through me. It's actually, that's true, that's true, but it's more than that. It's more than that. Remember I said there were two types of sheep pens in the first century, right? The, the second kind was not so much a communal sheep pen with lots of other shepherds using it. They would have been smaller sheep pens that would have been out away from the towns where during the summer months, shepherds would venture with their flocks further away from town and because it was warmer, they would stay out at night with them and they would, they would use these smaller pens that were mostly just like made out of stone, maybe a few feet high, um, and uh, actually, if you want to throw up the picture, they looked some, this was a replica of one, looked something kind of like this. So at, at dusk, they would come and they would bring their flocks into here uh, to, get, to, to make it through the night to protect them. But um, it's interesting, if you notice, there's no gate on this sheep pen, is there? Um, there was a man named Sir George Adam Smith. He was a Scottish Old Testament theologian. He lived back uh, kind of in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And he would visit Israel uh, for his studies, for his research. And one time he was traveling around Israel with a guide, with a guide, and he came upon an Arab shepherd who was friendly and willing to kind of show him, hey, let me show you the life of, of a shepherd today. And he showed him a sheep pen, a lot like that one. And Sir George said to him, so this is where the sheep go in at night? And the, the shepherd said, yep. And they are perfectly safe and completely protected in this pen. And Sir George said, really? Because there's, there's no gate. There's no door. And the shepherd said, oh, I am the gate. I am the door. He said, well, help me understand that. What do you mean by that? And he said, he said and I'll quote this. When the light has gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie down in the open space. And no sheep ever goes out, but across my body. And no wolf comes in unless it crosses my body. I am the door, the literal door. Literally at night, he would lay down between the gap, right? Like this and sleep like this so that he would know whether anybody was trying to come or go. He was the door, the literal door. This, is the, this was the job of the shepherd, Jesus, this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, I am the gate, I am the door. And his audience would have been familiar with this. They would have known this. He was saying, I lie, I lie down in the gap for you, my sheep. And in a few weeks, he's gonna lay down his life for his flock. A beautiful foreshadowing of what is to come. And again, the Pharisees here, he's cautioning them and accusing them of being like thieves of like trying to rob this newly healed blind man of thinking that he can't be in God's flock. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm, I'm here. I am the gate and I'm protecting this man from you all who are trying to push him out, who are trying to steal something from him. And this is what Jesus has done for all of us. He's laid down his life for us. He's gone to the cross for us that if we just put our faith and trust in him, he promises to keep us safe. And that's again, in verse nine, when it says, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. There's another way to translate that actually. And it's whoever enters through me will be kept safe. I think that's really interesting and really important. Jesus is saying, I will protect my sheep. I will protect them. You know, one of the things that gates do and doors do 
is they close to protect us, don't they? They close to protect us, to keep things from the outside, from necessarily getting in. The thief, verse 10, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest, have it to the full. Now, in the past, I've heard this verse, it's often quoted a bit out of context. This verse is usually used when someone is referring to the devil or to Satan. And he is the ultimate thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But nowhere in this passage is Satan mentioned at all. Now, I think it's true. I think, you know, again, this does apply to him. Uh, and I think it's clearly he was at work and causing this disunity between the people and you know, the Pharisees and Jesus. I think that's, that's very evident. But, but primarily, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here. He's talking to them. And so it's no wonder at this point, they want to get rid of him. They're starting to plot to, to kill him, right? And he, but he's, he's challenging them. He's saying, you guys aren't doing your job. You aren't doing your job at protecting the sheep. In fact, you're harming them. But I have come now to protect this man and anybody else who will put their faith in me and believe in me. But you are like thieves and robbers trying to steal life from them making the walls so high, making the sheep pen impenetrable that no one can get in. And, and if somebody can't meet your standard, if somebody can't follow your rules perfectly, then what do you do? You kick them out. You kick them out of the flock. But Jesus says, I am the ultimate protector. I am the gate. There's this famous seen in my favorite book, uh, one of my favorite movie series, and probably some of you are familiar with it, Lord of the Rings. Uh, in the first part of the story, The Fellowship of the Ring, there's this group of hobbits and, and men and dwarfs and elves. They're all running from this fiery beast with horns called Balrog. Or, and, uh, and they've come to this narrow bridge. They're trying to get away from them. They've come to this narrow bridge that's, that goes over this deep, like never-ending chasm into the darkness. And there's one figure, uh, his name is Gandalf, Gandalf the Grey. And he's kind of like the Messiah-like figure in the story. He dresses kind of like a shepherd has a staff. And, uh, and he leads everybody across this narrow bridge. And when he gets to the other end of the bridge, he stops and he helps them all get past. And then he turns around and stops at the edge of the bridge to face the beast coming at him. And he takes his staff. And in this very famous moment, he, he takes it and he bangs it down on the ground. And he says, you shall not pass. And this defiant, you know, you know, and, you know huge moment in the, in the story, in the movie. And when the beast takes one step on the bridge, the bridge crumbles and the beast falls. But so does Gandalf. He gives up his life for his friends. And he stands there as their protector, as their savior. And that, that is the picture, I think, of, of what Jesus is doing here in this story. He is standing saying, I am the gate and I will protect this man and anybody else who follows me. We don't see, we don't always think of Jesus in that light, <laughs> but that's what he's doing in this, in this story. Jesus is our true and ultimate Gandalf the gate who protects us. But just like a gate or a door can close to protect us, it can also open to free us. So we can go out and experience life to the fullest 
the way it's meant to be. John 10, 10, the second part of it says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He does not want us always to be trapped inside the pen. The goal isn't to get in the pen and stay in the pen forever. That's not the goal. The goal is also to be able to go out, to live life into the world the way it was meant to be experienced. You know, Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The very first thing he says after he's gonna save us is that they're also meant to go out, to be free. You know, he's the one who opens our lives to true freedom, joy, and life. He frees us of guilt, of shame and condemnation and fear. I often think about the man who was born blind and how probably his whole life he had been told by people, you've done something wrong because you're blind or your parents have done something wrong because you're blind, which wasn't true. He carried this, I, I imagine he carried this guilt that. I imagine he carried a lot of shame from that. It felt condemned by the Pharisees in this story of kicking him out, afraid, fear, all that stuff. Jesus comes to free us of that. The gate closes, but it also opens. It closes to protect us, but it opens to free us. Now, too often through this story, though, I think there's a little bit of it that can be misunderstood. You know, this story, sometimes we we read it and we can feel a little scared. Uh, It brings fear up in people like, okay, this whole sheep pen thing. And, you know, like, am I in the sheep pen or not in the sheep pen? Am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I in or am I out? How do I know for sure? How can I have confidence? What does that mean? What does that look like? And every once in a while, I have somebody come to me. Maybe a family member had passed away or a friend, a loved one. And they'll come to me and they'll say, you know, Andrew, I'm, I'm kind of worried. I don't know. I don't know if my loved one did enough. I don't know if they were good enough. I don't know if they, they knew enough. You know, I know that their, their struggles, I know their sins, I know their, their troubles. I don't know if they ever said the right prayer, Andrew, the, the exact right prayer. I'm worried and afraid where they might be right now. You know, what they're essentially saying is, is I don't know if they're in the sheep pen or not. I don't know if they're in heaven right now or not. Where is that line? Where is that boundary? Where is that wall? Are they inside or are they outside? But I think this kind of thinking is actually the exact kind of thinking Jesus was trying to, to change their, their paradigm of, to shift them to see it from a new way. Um, Paul Hybert, he passed away in 2007, but he was a missionary and a cultural anthropologist He used this mathematical concept, I think, to explain this really well. It's this idea of something called a bounded set versus a centered set. Bounded set versus a centered set. So bounded set theory is this idea of either being in the circle or outside the circle. You're either in or you're out. It's it's static. There's There's a line, there's a wall, and you're either in the middle and the inside, or you're not on the inside. You can move around in the inside, right? Or you can move around on the outside, but there's a wall. And you notice there's no door to get into the wall. Kind of hard to get in the circle, right? In terms of Christianity, he used this mathematical idea to talk about how sometimes as Christians, we can sometimes see people as either being in or out. 
You know, and like the Pharisees, most of the time that's focused more on behavior and on knowledge. Do I know enough? And am I doing the right things enough? Right? Do I know all the right things? Do I know enough of the right things and enough of the right rules? Am I following enough of the right things? Am I following enough of the right rules? But again, it's enclosed. And so like thieves, the only way you're gonna get in is climb over the wall, to try to climb over the wall. And that means a lot of effort that nobody can do. The Pharisees thought that this healing on the Sabbath, nope, 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 can't do that. That's breaking the rule. You're out of the circle. You're out of the circle. The disciples, I think, even had this kind of mentality, even by their original question of, well, who, why is this, this man's blind? Obviously because of either his sin or his parents' sin. Right? That's, that's out of the circle kind of thinking. But centered set, centered set theory is different. It's a different way of thinking. In math, it's, it's dynamic, all right? It's not static and it's more focused on direction rather than in or out. It's focused on direction. Are you heading toward the center point or away from the center point? It doesn't so much matter the distance, but it's about the direction. You can be very far away from the center point, but as long as you're heading that way, you're in. But you could be really close to the center point, but if you're going the opposite direction, then you're out, if you want to think of it like that. It's more about direction. There are no, there's not a boundary. There's not a wall. It's about a point, a center point. And this is what, in Christianity, it means you're either moving towards the center in Jesus or you're moving away from him. You know, when Jesus is trying to explain this to them, I think he's, this is the point he's getting at. He's getting at, we need to shift our entire way of thinking. You guys are thinking bounded set. You've made this wall. You've made these rules. This system to make people be in or out. But Jesus is saying, I have come to break open that system. I've come to make a gate. I've come to make a way in, in fact, and then I'm gonna tear the walls down where there is no wall anymore. It's just about me, the point, the center. And are you coming towards me or are you going away from me? That's what it's about. Again, it's not about how far you've started away. It's about the direction that you're heading. And it's not, again, so that you can come and be in the wall or whatever that doesn't exist. It's, it's not about getting in there so that you can just be safe. It's also about going out to the pasture, to experiencing life to the fullest. So when people are worried about, did my loved one check off enough of the right boxes? Did they know enough? Did they do enough? You know, I, I love coming alongside and saying, you know what, that's kind of in and out thinking. That's about distance, but it's really about direction. It's about direction. So tell me about your family member. Tell me about your friend, your loved one. Is there any indication that maybe any, any stories in their life or things they've said to you that they, met, that they were in fact actually heading in the direction of Jesus? And not everybody unfortunately is or does. Some people do reject and walk away from Jesus. We see that in the story, the Pharisees. Some of the people of the crowd will reject him. But most often than not, when I talk to people, something, something they'll say, some story they'll have will be a clear indication that yes, 
their family member, their loved one was heading in that direction towards him. And I just love, love, love encouraging them in that. So if the, if the worship team wants to come start to make their way back up here, I'm gonna kind of wrap it up with this um, and make it personal. It's easy to talk about others, but let's talk about ourselves. Let me ask you all just to think about this. You know, do you have more of a bounded set view of your faith or a more of a center point view of your faith? And if you have a, and, and either way, are you headed, what direction are you heading is the key. What direction are you heading? Are you heading in the direction of Jesus? And if you're honest with yourself and you would say, you know what? I, I'm not, actually, I don't think I have been. I think in this area of my life or this area of my life, I've been walking away from him. Then the beautiful part is all we have to do is turn around and start heading in that direction. It does not matter how far we've gotten. Center, center set theory. It doesn't matter how far we've gotten. It just matters the direction that we're heading. And that's the invitation of Jesus is to simply turn around and start to head back towards him. And that's when the gate opens. That's when the walls come tumbling down. That when we, when we, when we, when we, when we respond to Jesus's invitation and, and say, yes, Jesus, I wanna follow you, whether it's for the first time or for the hundredth time, when we turn and start heading in his direction, uh, that's when we get to start to experience that life, that life to the fullest. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand up? Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.